Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jana. Jana's been here for a lot of years. I love uh, seeing uh, people who've been here for a lot of years. I love seeing new people. And that's what we have at LifePoint. Uh, we have continually influx of new people, which is great. And so I'm uh, grateful for what God is doing here and thankful for all of you uh, that are here. God's doing so much, man. I'm grateful that we're able to do ministry here in our local community with the homeless. We do room in the inn on Friday night. We bring them in. They sleep here. Uh, they get free meal. They get haircuts. They, they, they sleep in a warm place every Friday night. Then we do uh, get just the check for 50000 out of year. It's awesome, awesome stuff. And so, man, thank you for giving so that we can serve our community and around the world so that the gospel can be preached. Now, I want you to think about some of the, the, the absolute, just, just, just most amazing sights you've ever seen. Now think about some of those sights for just a moment. And, and, and man, I have several, right? I mean, uh, some of you have done, done these with me and seen these sights with me. Like, man, one of the most amazing sights I've seen, I never will forget, standing on the rim of the Grand Canyon. Some of you have seen that as the sun came up over. It was so awe-inspiring. All I could do was say, Oh God, you are amazing, right? And so, so uh, man, I remember walking on the Great Wall of China. What a, an amazing sight to walk on the Great Wall of China or going into the bottom, looking at the pyramids of Giza and Cairo and going into the bottom of that Rome. Rome is just, everything about Rome is just so amazing. Uh, standing uh, across from Golgotha, uh, the place of the skull where Jesus was crucified or at the garden tomb or sailing on the Sea of Galilee, Man, these sights are so amazing that you can't describe them. People say, uh, man, what was it like? Well, you really don't have the words to describe these, these things because they're indescribable. All, only thing you can say is come and experience them for yourself. Come and see. Come and see. That's what we're starting today. We're starting a brand new series called Come and See. Uh, and it's taken from uh, John chapter one, the very first chapter of the gospel of John. And today I'm gonna be talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is not the John who wrote the gospel of John. That's the apostle John. Those are two different Johns, just, just so you know. But in John chapter one, verses 45 and 46, here's what it said. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. So, so Philip goes to his friend and he's telling him about Jesus, basically. He's living sin, as we would call it. He goes, he finds his friend and he tells him about Jesus and his friend is very skeptical. 
as is many of your friends, when you tell them about Jesus or when you share the gospel, people are skeptical. So uh, Nathaniel was very skeptical, and Philip just said, man, he didn't argue with Nathaniel. He didn't, he didn't try to, you know, uh, argue um, apologetics with him. He didn't try to, he just said, just come and see, come and see. That's what we want you to do. We're inviting you over the next 12 weeks to come and see. Each week, we're gonna talk about a different story from the ministry life and ministry of Jesus that will help us see who he truly is. And what you see on the, 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 the screen behind me is just something that our creative team come up with. And this is a collage, basically, of all of the different events that we're gonna be talking about. The baptism is in the center, uh, on the, 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 the center of the, the middle. And uh, you can maybe recognize each week where that story is that we're going to be, to be discussing. And so Jesus is, he's the most famous man ever right? I mean, his name, uh, his renown is the most famous man ever. Millions of people know who Jesus is, but not many have seen truly who Jesus is. Because when you truly see who Jesus is, everything changes. Nothing remains the same when you truly see Jesus. And so we're going to begin our survey over the next 12 weeks. We're going to begin today uh, with the story of his baptism. It's, it's the beginning of his ministry in all of the Gospels. This is where Jesus' ministry publicly, it begins, with, is with his baptism. Now, and I want to set the stage before we dive in uh, to this point. It, God has not spoken in 400 years. It's been 400 years. The book of Malachi, it's been 400 years since God has spoken. And during that time, the people of Israel, because of their disobedience, they've bounced back and forth between conquering nations. And, and now they are uh, in their homeland in Israel under Roman occupation, and they're desperate for God to intervene. They're desperate for God to, 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 do, to do something. And so uh, the Pharisees, were this ultra or uh, conservative legalistic religious group of leaders who basically said that uh, disobedience to the covenant got us in this mess, and so it's going to be obedience to the covenant that gets us out of this mess. So that's why they were just absolutely uber uber legalistic on people following the letter of the law, right? And so, so they thought, man, we were disobedient, got us here, so we got to be obedient to get us out, and they were partly true. It would be obedience that got them out. Where they missed it was it wouldn't be their obedience that got them out of the mess. You see, God gave the law, and he did not give the law so that we would know all the, 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 the rules and we could check them, and if we did them, we would be right with God. That's not why God gave the law. God gave the law so that we would look at the law, and in looking at it, we would realize, I cannot do that. It is impossible to do that. I cannot do this by myself. He, he gave us the law to nullify in our minds a salvation by works, a works-based salvation, because we can't do that. And so that's what the law does. And, and, and so uh, in doing that, we realize we don't need more discipline. We need a Savior, and that's, that's why he gave us laws, to, to help us understand we don't need more discipline, we need a savior. And everybody in Israel had their idea about what this new savior or this savior would look like, who this savior would be, the expectation. Uh, some believed he would be a powerful king like David. Some believed he would be a wise leader like Moses. Some believed he would be this amazing prophet like, Jer uh, like Jeremiah or like Elijah. Uh, some believed he would be that, but no one thought that he would be a carpenter's son from a backwoods podunk town. 
No one thought that. That's, that's, that's great. So 4,000 years earlier, we talked last week about Adam and Eve. And you're going to begin to see now, I hope, how why the first three chapters of Genesis are some of the most important chapters in the Bible because they lay the foundation that everything comes out of, that everything is built upon. And remember, last week we talked in Genesis 3 about Adam and Eve and the fall in the Garden of Eden, the temptation and how they bought the lie and, and, and bit the fruit and, and man did what God told them not to do and brought sin and we all inherited that sin. We've got So uh, remember, as we looked at that last week, God pronounced a curse on the serpent. He pronounced a curse on the serpent, Satan, and he said, I will put enmity between you and the, and the seed of the woman. You will bruise his heel. He will bruise your head. Basically, uh, this is Genesis 3.15. It's called the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel. God, because of their sin, said, here's the answer. I want you to know in the beginning what the answer is. The answer is not your work. The answer is not you being better. The answer is you trusting a savior. And he says, I'm going to bring Jesus, the seed of the woman, and you're going to wound him, crush his heel, but he's going to crush you uh, uh, crush when he, when he said that you're going to wound his head. This is the first gospel. The, the fulfillment of that for, promise 4,000 years earlier, it's been 4,000 years since Adam and Eve, the fulfillment of that 4,000-year promise is now standing on the banks of the Jordan River. He, he's now standing on the banks of, of, of the Jordan River, and this moment is so mammoth that God speaks. He breaks 400 years of silence and he speaks. And he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. First, the first words that God has spoken in 400 years to his people. It's so massive that he, he, he pronounces uh, his, his blessing upon his son. And it's an incredible announcement, but it's not just a simple announcement. It's an announcement that requires a response. And so I want to look just for a moment at three different responses that we see in this passage uh, as, as we come and truly see who Jesus is. The first response is this. When you truly see who Jesus is, it will lead you to repent of your sin. That when you truly see who Jesus is, it will lead you to repent of your sin. Now, centuries earlier, Isaiah, the prophet who my son is named after, prophesied that there would be a forerunner to Jesus. There would be someone who would come and prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the, the paths. And, and, and so what he was talking about, this man that we would know as John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was Jesus's cousin, born to Elizabeth, Mary's uh, cousin. And if you'll remember when Gabriel went to, to Mary and Zechariah uh, and told, him, told her she was a virgin, she was a child, Jesus, he also went to Zechariah, who was a priest, and told him that they would have a child. And it was, so it was John the Baptist. And remember, when Mary got her uh, visit from Gabriel, she went to see her cousin, and John the Baptist leaped in her womb because Jesus was in the womb of Mary, and so it was his cousin, but as they grew up his cousins, John the Baptist did not know that Jesus was the Messiah. He did not know as they were growing up, because remember, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. John did not know, nor would you just looking around uh, recognize that your cousin, that would have been hard, wouldn't it? Recognizing for Jesus' brothers to say, hey, my brother's the Messiah, or your cousin, no. Right, you're not gonna you're not gonna think that you're in competition with them, and so John didn't know that until one day Jesus is walking as as John is baptizing in the Jordan River, 
Jesus walks by, the Holy Spirit opens John's eyes, although he had seen him so many times before. All of his life he's seen Jesus, and all of a sudden when he walks by, the Holy Spirit opened his eyes and revealed who Jesus truly was, and he truly saw Jesus for who he was for the first time. And he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Remember that statement? Now, why did he say that? Because when God established the sacrificial system, it goes all the way back uh, to Passover and they killed the lamb. They put its blood on the doorpost. God passed over the homes marked by the blood of the lamb as he brought them out. And this was a symbol. What was it pointing to? Jesus. It's pointing to Jesus, this sacrificial system. The animals didn't cover their sin. It pointed to the one who would, Jesus. All of the Old Testament points to Jesus. And so, So he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John was saying, all those lambs that's been slaughtered for the last, you know, thousands of years, they didn't cover anything. They were a symbol of him. He's the one who's gonna redeem us. He's the one who's gonna take away our sin. And so John here is, is, now he was an eccentric fella to say the least. If we read it, it's like this dude was eccentric. You'd look at him and go, wow. I mean, this dude wore camel hair, a leather belt. He ate locust and wild honey. You know, you think he's eccentric. He sounds like an A-list Hollywood actor or any musician today, right? I mean, musicians, that sounds like camel's hair and leather belt. I'm in, right? Locust and wild honey, that's a cool diet. But in that day, man, it was, it was backwoods. He was, he was considered an outcast in that day uh, for, for, for doing that. And so, you know, he's baptizing in the Jordan River. And the first thing you think is, who in the world is going to go down to the Jordan River and let a guy who eats bugs be their spiritual influence? The reality is people were streaming to see John the Baptist. His ministry can be summed up really in one word, repentance. That's what he preached, repentance. He preached repentance. Repentance is turning from your sin and to God. That's what repentance is, and that's what John the Baptist preached, and people were streaming to John the Baptist to be baptized. They were coming out of of the woodwork, so to speak, to be baptized as a symbol that they were repenting of their sin and renewing their covenant faithfulness. They were making a commitment. I'm going to be faithful to God's covenant. Now, here's what Jesus said about John the Baptist. Jesus said, there is no greater man ever than John the Baptist. Wow, high praise from the Savior, isn't it? High praise from our Lord. There's no greater man ever than John the Baptist? Wow, it's like, whoa, I would love for Jesus to say that about me, but I know he can't. But he said that literally about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was an incredible man, and yet when he saw Jesus and the Holy Spirit opened his eyes to who he was, what did John do? As great as he was, when Jesus, God himself says, that's a great man, that's powerful. And this great man, the greatest man in Israel, this great man, when he saw Jesus for who he was, what did he say? You come to me for baptism? You need to be baptizing me. In John's gospel, the apostle John said that John the Baptist even said, uh, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. That's like one of the lowest tasks of a slave. John the Baptist was putting himself in proper order. See, he saw Jesus for who Jesus really was. And when you see Jesus for who Jesus really is, it causes you to see you for who you really are. And when you see you for who you really are, it causes you to be undone and broken because you realize I am not worthy 
I'm not worthy. I am a sinner. I have broken God's law. I don't know what to do because I am desperate because I'm not right with God. You see Jesus for who he truly is and you're broken. And the only place it leads you is to repent of your sin and fall at the feet of Jesus metaphorically and say, Jesus, forgive me. So it causes you, when you truly see him for who he really is, it causes you to repent. But here's what it doesn't do. It causes you to be broken and undone, but it doesn't leave you there. It doesn't leave you in desperation. Yes, when you see Jesus for who he really is, it causes you to see you for who you really are, and you realize, man, I'm a worm. You realize I am, I'm broken. I am a sinner. But it doesn't leave you there because then what it causes you to do when you see Jesus for who he truly is, it causes you to rest in his righteousness. It causes you to rest in his righteousness, which is massive and huge. Centuries earlier, when, when, when we see this, when Isaiah prophesied of this one who would come before John the Baptist, he sees himself for who he is, and he's the greatest man, and now he comes to, to, to John to be baptized, and he doesn't have any sin. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. So why would Jesus be baptized? Remember, he was fully God, but he was also fully man. He was tempted in every way you are. The Bible says that there was not one temptation that you and I have that Jesus did not experience. He was tempted, guys, to lust after women just like you or to even even go further than that. He was tempted with greed, money. He was tempted with pride, his own kingdom. If we go back to Satan tempting him in the wilderness, I mean, he tempted him to seek his own glory rather than the glory of the Father. He tempted him to test God. He, he, he was tempted in every, there's not a temptation you go through so that he can be your high priest and understand everything that you walk through. Jesus was tempted. Yet, although he was tempted, he did not fail. Not one time did he sin. Now, that wasn't because he had some superhuman shield around him. Okay, yes, he was fully God, but God did not place this superhuman shield around Jesus where temptation just hit him, but there was this force field that it just bounced off of. No, he was fully human, and in his full humanity, he was really tempted in every way and had the ability to fall just like you do, but because, unlike you and me, you see, I can't help it before Jesus, before the Holy Spirit says, opens my eyes. I can't help it because my mind, when, I, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, when they did what God told them not to, here's what happened. They passed that sin gene on, their DNA of sin, to all their, 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 those who would follow, including you and me, and I'm born, and sin affects every part of my being. It affects my mind. It affects my will. It affects my emotions. It affects every part of my being physically. It's why we die mentally, emotionally. It affects everything. It, it, it corrupts everything within me. And left into myself, that's what I do. I, I can't, but Jesus was fully man, but he, he was born of a virgin. I, what I, what I hope you begin to see how back in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is the foundation and all the doctrines are systematized and how they work together and flow in and out of each other. Because Jesus was born of a virgin, there was no uh, inherited sin from Adam passed on to Jesus. And so he was tempted, but he remained pure. He never looked at a woman in a way he shouldn't. He never said a word that he shouldn't. Like when I had a medical procedure Friday and they had me on a little drugs and I said some words I shouldn't have, I'm sure. He never said those. He, he never sinned. So why 
did Jesus go to John to be baptized? It was a baptism of repentance. He didn't need to repent of anything. John wanted to know that. You come to me for baptism? I need to be baptized for you. What did Jesus say? He said, we need to do this, John, to fulfill all righteousness. Now, what did he mean by that? To fulfill all righteousness. What did he mean by that? Well, remember what John's baptism was. It was a baptism of repentance. What do you repent from? You repent from your sin. John was calling people back, and he was the forerunner pointing the way to the Messiah, preaching that the kingdom was near, Jesus. And so Jesus' baptism was a baptism of identification and fulfilling righteousness. He identified with John saying, when, when Jesus was baptized, saying he is the one. John said, the Lamb of God who takes away the world. So Jesus was identifying with John's ministry, saying it was correct and it was right, and he was the one, the fulfillment of these promises, and he was identifying with all who were being baptized, including you and me. He was identifying they were being baptized for their sin. They were being baptized in, as, a, as, as a, a symbol of repentance, of sin, and Jesus As he goes in, he had no sin, but he goes in as a symbol saying, I'm identifying with the sinner. He goes in to say, I'm gonna be baptized into your sin and I'm gonna take it upon myself. I'm gonna take it upon myself. I was obedient, fully obedient. So as the Pharisees uh, thought, obedience was required, but it wouldn't be your obedience. It was Jesus' obedience. And then as death was the price for sin, he would go to the cross and die your death because he was perfect. And he would take your sin upon him. That's what this whole baptism was about. It was a symbol. Now, imagine you're Jesus' PR agent for just a moment. For 30 years, Jesus has lived this perfect life He's not committed one sin. He's not said one bad word. No one can bring up anything. I mean, he's lived a perfect life and he's about to start his ministry. If you're his PR agent, you're telling him, hey man, we need to do something big. We need to come out of the gate with a bang, man. You need to go into the, to, to the temple. You need to go into the city center and you need to do this massive miracle that gets everybody's attention, that causes everybody to focus on you and go, what? That's what you need to do, but that, that's not what Jesus did. He goes in he, he walks down and, and, and goes swimming in the Jordan River with a bunch of low-down sinners, and, and, and he hangs out and identifies himself with a guy who eats bugs. That's a PR nightmare. You're starting your ministry like that? But that's what Jesus did. Why? He starts his ministry so that he can identify with us. British theologian Glenn Scrivener pointed out that most people try to look like they're perfect when they're complete sinners, but Jesus... Jesus, although he was perfect, identified with sinners. We don't come to see Jesus to show him all that we can bring to him and all that we have to offer him. Because when we truly see Jesus, here's what we realize. We truly see Jesus, we we are undone. We're broken because we see who he really is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's God, he's perfect. And then when we see him for who he is, it causes us to see us for who we are and we're broken, but we don't stay there. See, many people are just there. You don't stay there. You're not, you're, you're not living in despair because then you rest in his righteousness because what this tells us is that Jesus, when he died on the cross, that's what this points to, when he died on the cross for all those who would believe, all of the sin of all those who would believe, he was baptized in, basically. He absorbed that sin. 
Every sin I've ever committed, every sin I will ever commit, and every sin you ever committed, if you believe in him, for those of you who don't believe in him, he didn't absorb that sin. You still have it, and you will have it, and you will absorb it, and you will pay for the wrath of that, but Jesus absorbed my sin. He absorbed the sin of all on the cross. He took that. This is why I don't have to live in despair because I'm a sinner, because he took my sin, and then what does he do? He gave me his righteousness. That's the beauty of it. I'm righteous, and nothing can ever take that from me if I'm truly a believer. I'm righteous. I'm not righteous because of my actions. I've done acts yesterday that weren't righteous, <laughs> right? I mean, I've thought things today that weren't righteous. Every, it doesn't mean my actions are righteous, but what that means is my standing before God is righteous, not because of my obedience, but because of Jesus' obedience, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. I didn't do anything to get my salvation. Jesus did, so I can't lose it because of what I do because it's not based on my actions. It's based on what Jesus did. That's why I can rest in his righteousness. That's why I can look at him, and I'm broken because of my sin, but, man, I, I am absolutely resting his righteousness. I repent, and I rest in his righteousness because it's on Jesus and I don't have to worry. It's beautiful. And he takes it away. So I, I, it, when I see Jesus, it leads me to, to repent of my sin when I see him for who he truly is. And when I see him for who he truly is, I, it causes me to rest in his righteousness because of what he did. But it causes me to recognize his glory. And all that caused me to recognize his glory. Jesus' baptism is such a significant moment that each person of the Trinity is seen in his baptism. Jesus the Son is baptized. Jesus, or, uh, uh, God the Son is baptized. God the Holy Spirit descends upon uh, him like a dove, and God the Father uh, makes an announcement, declaration from heaven that said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. All the Trinity is seen at the baptism. It's that big of a moment. And, and the Father basically says three things in that statement. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, I, I have to stop here because every time I read this, I have to stop and I have to call out your, something to you dads. I'm a dad. I had a dad. All of you had a dad at some, at some level. You had a dad. Some really good, some really bad, some really absent, some really present. They're all over the place, right? But let me speak to those of you who are dads. Maybe you're a dad of a child that's just brand new born or maybe still in the womb. Maybe you're a dad of a child that's 60. You're a dad. Here's what we need to understand. And what we need to understand about this is Jesus was fully God, but in this, in, in, in this time, he was also fully human. He was fully human, experienced the emotions that humans experience, experienced the trials that humans experience, the grief that humans experience. He experienced all the taunting and everything that humans experience. And if here, here, here's what I want to point out, dads. If Jesus, being fully God, in his humanity, needed to hear the blessing of his father, so do your kids even more. Every kid needs the blessing of their father. Every kid needs to hear their father say, I love you and I'm proud of you. I love you and I'm proud of you. And dads do, and it's not just a one-time thing. That's an over and over thing. I love you, and I'm proud of you. It's never too late, dads. Start that. But here we see three things, three things that's very significant in this statement, but we'll miss them if we don't understand the connection to the Old Testament. He says, this is my son. 
this is my son. Well, this alludes to Psalm 2, verse 7. Psalm 2, verse 7, where these words appear describing the future king from David's uh, line, this king that all of the nations he will inherit. He, uh, he will be the king over all nations and the kingdoms of the world will be given to him as an inheritance. That's Psalm 2. Then he says, with whom I am well pleased. Now this uh, alludes to Isaiah, back to Isaiah 42.1, where God introduces his servant this way, in whom my soul delights. He's talking about the Messiah. And God says, in whom my soul delights. This is the same suffering servant of Isaiah 53 who would bear the sins of God's people. And he also says, he's my beloved son. And what does this allude to? Genesis 22, the very first place in scripture that the word love is used. And it's used in reference to one of the most famous stories in the Bible. It's the story of Abraham and Isaac. Some of you might remember the story, some of you might not. Let me give you just the the 30,000 foot view of it. Uh, Abraham was an old man and had had no heir. God, in his miracle, uh, caused his wife to conceive and bear Isaac, his son, at an old age. Abraham was also delighted in his son. And God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to sacrifice your one and only son whom you love. The word is beloved. I want you to sacrifice the one and only son whom you love, your beloved son. And if you'll remember how the story goes, Abraham, now if you're a dad, you're thinking, what? Abraham, because he believed God, because he followed God, because he was obedient to God, he's a patriarch, he got Isaac and headed out to do what God told him to do because he believed that either God would provide a substitute or that God would raise him from the dead. And so they head out and Isaac is even carrying his own wood to his own sacrifice. Isaac begins to realize what's going on. Abraham, when they get to the place of the sacrifice, Abraham on Mount Moriah, he makes this, this where, the, where the temple stands, where we stood with so many of you and looked at this very place uh, uh, in Israel. And Abraham, he makes this altar uh, on Mount Moriah. He takes, he takes his son, he puts him on the son, uh, on the altar, believing that God will provide a substitute or God will raise him from the dead. And as he raises the knife, God says, stop, Abraham. And he looks and there's a ram caught in the thicket. God provided a substitute. That whole story, it really happened, but God wrote that into history, really happening, just as he's written your story into history, to point to Jesus, the whole thing. The father was willing to sacrifice his son. The son carried his own wood to the the sacrifice, which is an allusion to Jesus carrying his own cross to Golgotha, the place of the skull. Abraham believing that God would, if he allowed him to kill him, would raise him from the dead. The father uh, sacrificed his only beloved son to uh, to raise him from the dead. Why? Because death was required for our sin. When you surely eat that fruit, you will die, Adam and Eve. The enemy said, you will not surely die. They bought the lie, bit the fruit, they died. Physically later, we all die physically, but spiritually, immediately. 
And so they start, started trying to work their way back because now we're lost and we don't know what to do and we're broken and we don't know what to do, but we know we're, we know we're out of place with God and so we gotta figure this out. We gotta work it out and that's what religion is and God said all along, it's not about your obedience, it's about my obedience. You can't do this. And so when you see Jesus for who he really is, you repent of your sin because you see who you are, for, you see you for who you really are. You repent of your sin and you're broken but you don't remain in despair because you then when you see him for who he is, you see you for who you are, you know your sin, and when you repent of that sin, then what it causes you to do is rest in his righteousness because he takes your sin and he gives you his righteousness. You're free. And all of that causes you to recognize his glory. And so all of that causes you to, when you come and see, it causes you to go and tell. It causes you to go and tell because you recognize his glory. Here's what this passage tells us. This passage really tells us that, that many people know Jesus. Many people have seen Jesus. People watching online today, people in the room, many have seen Jesus and know who Jesus is, but not, not, not everybody has truly seen him for who he is. And you see, if you reduce Jesus to a tattoo or to a holiday or to a genie or to a political weapon, or to a therapist, or to a homeboy, you really, truly haven't seen Jesus for who he is. You really haven't. When you see Jesus for who he is, it changes everything. And like John the Baptist, here's what happened to me when I was 10 years old. I'd heard about Jesus just like many of you. Most everybody within the sound of my voice has heard about Jesus. We can go some places on unreached people groups around the world that have not heard about Jesus. Here, watching online uh, uh, in this room, most people, everyone has heard about Jesus. I had heard about Jesus. I knew about Jesus. I thought Jesus was cool. I thought Jesus was good. I'd heard the bedtime stories, and man, I'd went to church and Bible school, and I heard, but when I was 10 years old, like John the Baptist, God opened my eyes to see who Jesus really was. And when, I, when I, he opened my eyes and I saw who Jesus really was, I was undone. I was broken at 10 years old. And I said, I need forgiveness of my sin. And he's the one to do it. And I confessed my sin. And, and, and all my life has been resting in his righteousness because I keep messing it up, but I rest in his righteousness. And because of all that grace and mercy and gospel, I just want to go and tell. Today, here's what I hope. I hope and I pray that just like John the Baptist's eyes were opened by the Holy Spirit to see who Jesus really was, I hope some of your eyes are opened today to see who Jesus really is. And I hope you see him and you see who you are. And you know, I am, I'm a sinner and I need to repent of my sin. And then you can rest in his righteousness. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And now, I also want to say this as we close. Jesus was baptized. He didn't need to be baptized for anything, but he was because he had no sin to repent, but he was to fulfill all righteousness. Now, in the New Testament, we're commanded to be baptized. Uh, matter of fact, we're going to baptize some folks. Uh, hey, uh, all you folks, come come on come on out uh, uh, that are going to be baptized. Just 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 hey, uh, we want to we, we want you to stand out uh, and 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 identify. This is what baptism is. This is what baptism is. All these folks here are going to be baptized right now. Okay, now that's awesome, girls. That's awesome. I'm so proud of you. They're going to be baptized and. 
Jesus, in his baptism, identified with John the Baptist, and he identified with us as sinners. They're being baptized today to identify with Jesus. They're being baptized today because God's opened their eyes to see who Jesus was. And all of these folks right here have seen who Jesus was. They saw who they were. They repented of their sin. And now they can spend the rest of their life resting in his righteousness, recognizing his glory. And it begins in baptism. We're not going to go under that water in a moment. It's not going to take away their sin. Jesus has already done that. Jesus has already done that. Like Jesus' baptism was symbolic. This is symbolic. It's symbolic of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, the death and burial of their old life, resurrection to a new way of life. As Jesus was baptized, absorbing our sin, basically saying he was baptized into our sin to take it upon him, they've been, they're, they're, they're being baptized as a symbol that they are baptized, absorbed, immersed in the righteousness of Christ from now on. So that's what's happening today when we baptize. And I just wanted you to, 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 to you know, bring these folks out. And thank you for identifying with Jesus today. Thank you for being obedient and walking in that. Some of you need to follow their example. Because if you believe in Jesus, but you've never been baptized, that's disobedient. You need to be baptized. Here's what I'd do if I were you. These people are leading. I would, man, we got Easter coming up not too long from now. I'd say, wow, I mean, you can be baptized next week if you call us and we walk through it. But Man, if I was say, I'm going to be baptized on Easter. That's pretty cool. You can go to lifepointchurch.org slash baptism, find out, call us, schedule your baptism. The first step is surrender to Jesus because baptism doesn't save you. Surrender to Jesus and then follow through with that baptism. Okay, you guys can go on backstage. I've had you out here long enough. You guys are like, hey, you know. So what we're going to do right now is uh, Travis and the band are going to play. Man, we're going to baptize you're going to celebrate new life. People whose eyes, like John the Baptist, were opened by the Holy Spirit to see who Jesus really was. Maybe that's you today, and you need to come and talk to us. Maybe you're online, you need to text the word Jesus to the number on the screen. We'll help you to understand what's next. If you're a believer, you're going to, you're going to see this, and you're just going to celebrate because Jesus has just done it again, and he's just going to keep doing it until he returns. You know what he's chosen to do? He's chosen to do it through you. Every one of these people come up through this. They, 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 every one of these people had someone whose eyes had been opened by Jesus. They saw Jesus for who he was. They saw who, who, themselves for who they were. They repented of their sin. They rest in his righteousness. They recognized his glory by either sharing the gospel with these folks, inviting them to the church, or being a believer. Every, folks, that's, if you're a believer, that's what I hope you are inspired to go out of here and do. This is the center of history. Jesus' death and resurrection, his ministry, is the center of all redemptive history. And it's the center of your story and your life and the center of all who will believe in him. Come and see, go and tell. Father, we love you. We thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you that we are saved by your grace. Thank you that, Lord, everybody concocts these religions. They concoct just different ways things we have to do to be right with God. Thank you that your word, the Bible, blows that out of the water and says we can do nothing, we can bring nothing to Jesus but our sin. That's all I have to offer. And he gladly takes it when I offer it. He takes it from me and gives me his righteousness. I pray that would happen today. Thank you for those that are being baptized and I pray today, Lord, that the symbol of their new life, we know they're not gonna be perfect. 
But Lord, we know you're gonna do great things through their life. I pray that it would inspire so many. I pray you would save someone today. Open their eyes. Open people's eyes that don't know you today like you did John the Baptist uh, when he didn't know who you were. Open their eyes so that they will see you and say, the Lamb of God who takes away my sin today if you believe in him. Open their eyes today. Help believers today that have already come and saw to go and tell. Lord, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.